and basing our faith on a broken opposition. So here's what I want to do today. And what I want to do is a little bit of theological shock and awe. My desire here today is to completely break down and challenge the conceptions, the ideas, and the we construct by which we try to make sense of God and see where it leads us on the other side. I'm going to start by saying this, you know, trying to make sense of God is fundamentally a dangerous proposition because trying to make sense of God or insisting that God make sense ultimately can leave you to false conclusions. Let me give you a couple examples today of what I mean. All right, who here wants grace? Okay, you can raise your hands on this one. All right, who here wants grace? All right, who here thinks grace is a good thing? All right, all of us are sitting here going, okay, I think grace is a good thing. I want grace. Lord, I may, maybe I even pray for your grace on occasion. Let me tell you how you can get it. Sin more. Just go do it. No, I'm serious. What are you waiting for? Go. <laughs> Sin more. You know, th this, is, this is what Romans says. Check this out. Romans 5, Paul had to deal with this. And he writes to this, this early church, and, and he says these words to them. He goes, Okay, the law was brought so that trespass or sin might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Because God's grace always trumps our sin, doesn't it? And God's grace is always bigger than our sin, isn't it? So to get a greater volume of grace, proceed with a greater volume of sin. So, so he asks the question, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace might Increase. Are you getting the logic of this passage here? I think I've shared this by analogy with you guys once before, but let me do it again because I think it's worthwhile. Let's set up a hypothetical scenario. Now, let's imagine that I am God. I know this isn't a big stretch for a lot of you, all right? <laughs> so let's imagine that, that I am God, and one of my central qualities as God is mercy. All right? Now, let's say two of you in this room have offended me, okay? Now, Mike offends me on a regular basis, so we're going to use him here right off the bat. All right, Mike? Mike, I'm going to stick you out here. Now, Mike lied to me. It, it hurt. It made me mad. Mike lied to me. Ooh, right? Nasty sin. Yeah, just give Mike a good ooh. Okay. When you see Mike after he leaves the service today, just go up to him. Don't say hi. Just go, ooh. All right? Now... Over here, we've got JD, all right? Yeah, you're so glad you like sat in that seat now, aren't you? Here, over here, we've got JD. Now, here's what JD did, okay? He murdered my family. He proceeded to cook them and eat them. And then he took their skeletal remains and attached strings to them for a traveling puppet show. Okay? Okay. Not so bad. Ooh. Right? Everyone's thinking twice the next time J.D. invites over for the barbecue. Okay, which of these is a greater offense? Lying or killing, cooking, eating my family and then making a traveling puppet show out of their remains? 
which is greater offense? This one, of course, right? Now, what happens if I go up to Mike and I go, Mike, man, you know, it hurt me, but you're forgiven. All right? I'm looking pretty good right now, right? Because look at how merciful I am. Look at the grace that I bestowed. Look at how I kind of rose above it, right? But what if I came over here to JD and I did the exact same? You hurt me. You hurt me in ways I can't even describe. But I forgive you. Which shows my grace qualities more? Which is arguably a greater outpouring of mercy? And so do you see the conclusion that can be drawn despite the fact it is simply not true? See, if, if God's forgiveness is free, why don't we just do whatever we want? If grace is pure grace and it's not dependent on our works, it's not dependent on our efforts, it's not dependent on anything we do, hey, I'm just going to go do whatever I want. And in fact, maybe I should do the worst of the worst of the worst because that makes God look that much better. Are you with me? And do you see how sometimes, despite the fact that it makes sense, trying to insist that God makes sense leads you to a conclusion that fundamentally just isn't true. Are you, are you there? God does not make sense. And insisting that he always makes sense is basing your faith on a broken rule. In fact, I will argue that if you look at the Bible, what God has said about himself, what God has revealed, what, 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 what the scripture writers and, 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 and the prophets have described about God, every single major Christian doctrine at its core doesn't make sense when compared to another Christian doctrine that you compare it against. Let me start showing you just some examples of what I mean. One thing you're going to find right away is that the Bible is loaded with mixed metaphors. All right? Let me give you just a few examples here today. Just a, a quick splattering that I put down on paper. Now, if you were to read the Bible, you're going to see that Jesus proclaims himself as the light of the world. Right? Except that, you know what Jesus says about you? That you're the light of the world. Who's the light of the world? Jesus or you? Y yeah. Uh, all right? How about this one? God is our rock. God is our rock, God is our fortress, God is our deliverer, right? He is our sure and stable foundation. Except what does Jesus say? Peter, you're the rock. All right, so, so who's our rock? Uh, all right, how about this one? Jesus has the keys. All right, what does that mean? Like, you know, you want to get the car and you go to Christ? No, what it means is that Jesus holds the keys of life and death. Jesus holds the keys to the kingdom of God, if you can understand where the metaphor is going. Proclaimed through the Bible, right? Except Jesus comes to Peter and says, no, you got the keys. We're thinking of a Peter theme here today, my gosh. But it keeps going. Jesus builds his church, right? Except Paul has no problem coming around saying, hey, I'm the expert builder. Right? And you can push this on and on and on. You can look at things where Jesus will describe himself as being a lamb, right? But then he turns around and says, I'm a lion. Not only that, God will describe himself as a lion, 
But then he says that Satan roams around like a roaring lion too. So who is it? And so at one level, the Bible gets very difficult. Theology gets very difficult. Understanding God gets very difficult because it seems to say one thing over here and another thing over there. Are you with me? You can go on with this and you can start going to the theological level of things. Oh, Jesus is the foundation. The apostles and the prophets are the foundation. I mean, it goes on and on. All right? Think about this. Every fundamental Christian doctrine is rooted in this thing called paradox. A paradox is two truths that seem to contradict each other, that don't seem to fit, that don't seem to make sense in light of one another, but despite that fact, both are actually true. Every single major Christian teaching, every single teaching of the Bible is rooted in paradox. Take God. God is three, but God is one. So which is he, one or three? Take Jesus. He's fully God, which means he's divine, which means he's immortal, which means he's above weakness and suffering and pain, which means he's frail, which means he's grow, which means he's driven by emotion and passion, right? And yet at the same time, Jesus is fully man which means he can die, he can grow. There are things he doesn't know. There are things he can't do. So which is he? Is he fully God or is he fully man? Take this one. God is merciful, right? What is the definition of mercy? Not getting something you deserve. And simultaneously, God is just. What's the definition of justice? Absolutely getting what you deserve. So which is he? Merciful or just? Take this one. The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is now, but the kingdom of God is still yet to come. Which is it? Is it now or is it yet to come? Think about yourselves. The Bible calls you a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God, corrupt and fallen by nature. The Bible calls you a saint, holy, righteous, and perfect. Which are you, a sinner or a saint? The Bible says this, you are saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And yet James turns around and says, faith without works is dead. Huh? Connect the dots for me here, Lord. And this goes on and on and on through the scriptures. Jesus will say, when you pray, don't babble on like the pagans. Get on with it and get on with your life. God knows what you need before you even ask. And yet he will then turn around and say, pray unceasingly. Okay, Lord, what, 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 what am I supposed to do with that? Every Christian doctrine, and we can go on and on and on, is fundamentally rooted in a central idea that at some level, God does not make sense. I mean, have you ever even thought of just the teachings of Jesus? The proud will be humbled, and the humble will be exalted. So if I'm humble and then I'm exalted, do I kind of swing back in the loop and get humbled again? You know, you know what I mean? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the hungry, for they will be filled. You know, the definition of being hungry is not being filled. Right? right? Um, you, you know, what, 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 does Jesus, what does Jesus say? He, he, he says things like, uh, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Are you starting to see that as soon as we start to formulate God over here, there is something over here that wants to stand in stark contrast? Because in our human nature, understanding the infathomable God is fundamentally a broken proposition. And you will never be able to find God with this up here. This is why it's so central to the scriptures that God is revealed and not ascertained. Are you following me on this? What I mean by this is that, that fundamentally, to know God, God has to show himself and describe himself to you because left to our own devices, what we end up with is nothing but false conclusions and broken propositions because of the limit of where this can take us. I mean, this is what the Bible is all about. What, what the prophets are all about, the scriptures are all about, the appearances of God throughout the Bible. This is what Jesus is all about. It's like he's showing up saying, guys, guys, wait, 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 you're not going to get this. This one is beyond you. Come here. Let, let me tell you who I am. Let me show you who I am. Let me show you what I'm about. Let me show you what you are about. Let me show you what's actually true because left to this up here it is fundamentally never going to take you it is never going to click where this to its own devices will lead you know at its base god is big he's vast He's unimaginable. I want to read you a couple of quotes here today. Th things that have struck me by, by, by several different authors that just have spoken to me. And that just strike me in a deep place. This is by a songwriter, Rich Mullins. He says this. The Bible is not a book for the faint of heart. It is a book full of all the greed and glory and violence and tenderness and sex and betrayal that benefits mankind. It is not a collection of pretty little anecdotes mouthed by pious little church mice. It does not so much nibble at our shoe as it cuts to the heart and splits marrow from bone to bone. It does not give us answers fitted to our small-minded questions, but truth that goes beyond what we even know to ask. Or this one from uh, Rob Bell. He says this, We have no desire to tame the text. We want to let it out of its cage and we want to see it prowl around our lives, devouring us and spitting out the bones. We don't want to be detached, methodical scientists who stand over the subject and apply the proper rules, methods, and procedures so that we can achieve favorable results. The modern impulse is always to reduce it to simple pr principles and clever maxims. To continually insist that with enough work, it'll all make sense and line up. Life doesn't always line up. In the new world, much of what is currently considered preaching and study will be rendered totally irrelevant. The Bible is not a nice book. It is not a clean book. It is not a guide to proper behavior. It does not even seem to care whether it is relevant or not. 
The Bible is a revolutionary manifesto that could get you killed in many parts of the world. It is living, it is breathing, and it demands that we surrender to it unconditionally so that it can transform us. And one more that I'd like to share by uh, an author named Anthony Esselin. He says this, the biblical language is sometimes strange. Let it be. So people do not always understand it. The better than to suggest to them that in fact they do not understand it and that there are mysteries whose surface they have only begun to peer into. If the Bible at once immediately accessible to children and yet embracing unfathomable truths does not sometimes suggest the depth of an infinite sea, translators ought to be sent packing. Let them translate signs and train stations. Well, they'll do more good. God is fundamentally beyond our understanding. And to insist that God make sense. And to insist that in God making sense, life always make sense. Is to base your faith on something that is fundamentally broken. I'd like to try to describe this in a certain way and give you an analogy. I want you to think about God like this. Better, I want you to try to think about God and how he reveals himself, truths about himself, truths about you, about life in the universe, kind of like this iceberg that you're looking here. Now you look at these, these icebergs here and they look different. There's a big towering one in the background, right? In the forefront, there's an iceberg. It's a different shape, it's a different height, it's a different constitution, if you will. They don't look like they're the same. Floating in the same stream, but they don't look like they're the same, right? They look disconnected, don't they? But what if, under the surface, they are actually part of the same thing? What if under the surface, this is what's going on? And there is a bigger and a deeper reality of which we are only seeing minuscule parts and different ways. What if when we approach God, we approach the Bible and we approach the truths about him? It's better to stop focusing on simply one of the icebergs, but to see them as all being the same. You ever get into the predestination free will debate? You ever get in a room where people are kind of talking about this? Where some are saying, you know, you're saved because God has predestined you before the foundations of the world. It has nothing to do with you. God shows you before time began because God knows everything. God is all-powerful. It all makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Except it riles something in you. And so this crew over here is saying, no, wait a minute, though. But God gives you free will. God allows you to choose. God allows you to say, yes, I accept this gift of God. Or yes, I reject it. It looks like two different icebergs that don't fundamentally fit with each other. What if underneath the surface in ways that we don't understand and ways that we can't ascertain, they are both reflections and truths about the same God despite looking very different on the surface. 
And what if the mysteries of God and his salvation for you and me might actually plunge deeper than what our eyes can ascertain? And what if the trick to even beginning to understand God is to shift from a mode of stopping our focus only being on one truth that resonates with our heart, that we like, that fits with our conception of who God might be, and simply let God be God in all the ways that he's revealed himself. To say, God may have revealed that big iceberg, and I like that one, but God has revealed that iceberg too. And I don't understand how the two connect. But I'm going to trust you, God, that they do. Because I guarantee you, if you're driving a ship, and you were to pretend that that little iceberg wasn't there and just go through it, it is still going to put you to the bottom of the sea. God does not always make sense. And God is so much bigger than what we can reason and understand. And to insist that he makes sense risks crashing into one of these. And so what God invites you into is faith. What God invites you into is to trust him. Say, Lord, when you say this is true, I'm going to hold that it is, despite the fact that I don't like it, despite the fact that it might not fit with what I've come to know of you over here. What God invites you into is to say, Lord, even when I can't make sense of you with my mind, I'm going to bow to you in faith and trust that you know what's going on beneath the surface even if I can't see it. This is how Paul will write it. And uh, this, this quote just like rock, so soak it in, all right? You got it? All right, here's part two. You know what it means in a sentence or left? The truth about God and reality will ultimately never be found through here. The truth about God and reality is found in Christ. And what Christ invites you is to look to him as who God is, what he's like, and all of his multifaceted truth. Even when it seems to play out differently, say, Lord Jesus, I can't find you ultimately through here. So here I am. I know you're bigger than me. I know you're bigger than life. I know you're under the surface. 
where it's not broken. All right, here's what I want you to do. All right, you see these uh, these cards, right? All right, we're pink today. Felt like a manly color. Throughout this season of Lent, we've been undergoing this practice of, of seeking to lay our broken rules at the cross of Christ. And here's what I'd like you to give them today. What is your stumbling block question? You know what I mean? What is that idea, question, that why that you call out about God? That's like a thorn in your side that kind of gets in the way. That buffers you against trusting Him. That doesn't let you kind of rise out of that feeling of brokenness. You, you know the question I mean. What is the idea teaching, doctrine about God, what is the question you have for him that is your stumbling block today? I want you to write it down, all right? While you write, I'm going to pray. In a moment when you come to commune, what I want to invite you to do is to risk leaving that with Christ. It doesn't mean, per se, giving up the quest, but trusting it to Christ. Trusting it to him and saying, you're bigger. You're greater. You're beyond my small-minded questions, Lord, and I want to know. But I choose to trust you. God, we come. We come and we come with, with, with as fallen, broken people. Our hearts are broken, God. Our wills are broken. Our righteousness is broken, and God, we come today with broken minds. Minds that have fallen short of your glory. Minds that are limited. Minds that can't even begin to grasp the depth and wisdom and truth and might of who you are at the core. Lord, you invite us to trust you in the limited ways that you've shown yourself. Even when those ways don't make sense. Lord, we come and we take a risk. Trusting you with, with our questions, with our mental struggles, with the parts of our lives that don't make sense. God, invite us in to your wisdom. Invite us into your grace. Lord, we come to you laying it at your feet. God, we pray. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat. Bread or body? Does God make sense? And after supper, he took a cup. And he gave thanks, and he gave to them. And he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood. 
Wine or blood? Shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Welcome to the God who is so much bigger than we are.
rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, you can move the mountain. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Let it shine, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King, my Savior. Saints. 
cry out we join them as we sing glory to god Oh, 